Good morning. So we are in a series on Daniel right now, and today we're going to be in Daniel chapter 5. The book of Daniel, it is, oh, it's two-thirds of the way through your Bible. It's after Ezekiel before Hosea. So if you want to start heading to Daniel 5, I'd invite you to do that if you'd like to follow along in your own Bible. So when, uh, well, my kids, one of the things they love, one of the stories they love for me to tell are little Timmy stories. Stories when I was a kid, and particularly stories when I got in trouble. Those are their favorites. And so when in our first house that we lived in, there was this big picture window. I mean, I don't, well, when I was four, it seemed enormous. I don't know how big it was in reality. But, and the picture window had this long wooden ledge that ran the length of it. And we didn't have a power sander or anything. So my mom decides she wants to refinish it. So she hand sands all these old stains out of it and all the old whatever wood stain or varnish was on it. Hand sands the whole thing, gets it down to bare wood, and then reapplies multiple um, applications of stain to it. So it gets it looking really nice. And so little Timmy comes and finds this after it's finished. And of course, this appeared to me like a blank canvas. <laughs> and so I, I find the permanent marker and I decorate. This newly finished window pane. My mom sometimes listens to the MP3, so mom, wherever you're, apologize for that. Um, but uh, and there were there were consequences for this choice by little Timmy. But uh, my my, you know, my mom. Uh, she, the the reason she disciplined me after this and warned me not to do it again. It's not like she wanted to get revenge on me, but I had. Uh, I had I had destroyed something that was important to another person. And in a four-year-old, it's like, okay, the four-year-olds do that. They need to be corrected. But the thing is, if I become a grown man that destroys things that are valuable to others for my own entertainment, in adults we call that wicked. And my mom cared enough about me to warn me, to correct me. That I would be a different, that as, a, as, a, as an adult man, I would not live this way. Uh, we're going to talk today about uh, warnings of love. And last week we looked at Daniel chapter 4. And there was this king, Nebuchadnezzar, who worshipped all these other gods. He was one of the most powerful people in the world. And God warned him. God spoke hard words to him. And Nebuchadnezzar decided to turn his life and trust and worship the living God of reality. And today we're looking at a second story. Another king that worshipped all these other gods, one of the most powerful people in the world. And again, God confronts with hard words. Uh, but this story uh, is a, has a different ending than the one we heard last week. So I'm going to pick up in... Daniel 5, verse 1. And we'll just get into the text here. So, Daniel 5, 1. King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. The year is uh, 539 B.C. Belshazzar is king of the Babylonian Empire. And he's technically, he, uh, his dad Nabonidus is king, but Nabonidus is left and left uh, Belshazzar in charge, so he's acting as king. And so he's acting king in Babylon. And in fact, here we have a map. This up-and-coming empire, Persia, is attacking the capital city of Babylon in, in the fall of 539. 
They've conquered Opus, which is just over 100 miles to the north of Babylon. Then Sippar, which is like 35 miles away, fell without a battle. And now they're moving in on the capital city where Belshazzar is. So this is a background. Persia is on the doorstep. Babylon is about to be laid siege to. And Belshazzar, his response to this is what? He throws a party for his friends. And we don't know if this is gathering support so there's not a coup or it's just distracting himself. We don't know what his motivation is, but he throws this party. Verse 2. Well, while Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem. It says Nebuchadnezzar's father, but in, in Hebrew or Aramaic here, father can mean ancestor or predecessor, and that's what Nebuchadnezzar is. Um, so that the king and his nobles, his wives and the concubines, might drink from them. So they brought in the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem, And the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines, drank from them. As they drank the wine, they praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. All right. So why is this being written down? What is the big deal about him drinking out of these gold goblets? In our day and age, we don't, really, we don't really think of objects as sacred in the same way that they did um, in this time and place. But these goblets, they, they had been in the, the temple of the living God in Jerusalem. And these, they weren't just like silverware. They, these were goblets that they would catch the blood of sacrifices and sprinkle it on the altar. They would dip water from this basin and sprinkle it out on the altar. These were some of the most sacred vessels used in the temple of God in Jerusalem. And here, Belshazzar, he takes them and he says, he, says, he says, these aren't that important. You know what's more important? What's more important is me having fun with my friends, my wives, and my concubines. And he gives these, the, the, he, he, this sacred object, he fills it with wine and gives it to his drunk concubine. He says, you know what's more important? What's more important is me showing how I'm more powerful. I mean, part of the reason that he had these objects brought here is to say, I am more powerful than the God and the people these represent. And so here he he says, you know what's more important? These fake gods of wood and stone and, and, um, and, and, and gold and silver, those, these fake spiritualities are more important. And so, I mean, he is, he's insulting the God, these objects belong to this is this is an intentional act on this part and even more than that he's humiliating the people who held these objects to be sacred i mean imagine you're one of the jewish people and your your holy place has been conquered and your holy objects have been taken prisoner in babylon and then the king who keeps you under his thumb takes them out and just mocks them i mean it's humiliating when i was in uh, when I was in seventh grade, uh, I had a friend who had finally worked up the courage to write a note to the girl he liked. And so it's in social studies class, and the, 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 guy, the teacher of social studies class, really intimidating high school football coach, so he, he, he writes this note, and, he, and he's sending it back, you know, past note. I guess, did people just text their crushes today i don't know we're passing so but the teacher intercepts the note and then reads it in front of the class 
We don't, we don't really have sacred objects as much in our time and place, but we can understand what it means to take something sacred and intimate and mock it and humiliate it. And this is what Belshazzar is doing here. Verse 5. Suddenly, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. And, and, and I mean, this is weird, right? I hope you think it is. Uh, but, he, but even like to make it even more so, in this, in, in the ancient East, when like, uh, to count the casualties of a defeated enemy in a battle, you would remove the hands to get the casualty count. And so this is a, it's like a dead enemy coming back and talking to you. I mean, this is super creepy. Even more than you might think initially. And it says, the king watched the hand as it wrote. Which, obviously, his face, verse 6, his face turned pale. He was so frightened that his legs became weak and his knees were knocking. And, okay, you got to get this next part. So, um... His, his face becomes pale. He's terrified. I, the, the translators from the Aramaic here into the English, they, they, don't, they don't render this literally. They smooth it over a little bit. So this is the literal translation. Um, the king's face turned pale. His thoughts terrified him. The knots of his loins were untied. And his knees knocked together. Or... We'll come back to this. Okay. So, uh, what, so, so he has this reaction. And, and then what he does is he calls. He's, he, there's this writing on the wall. And he calls his wise men, his enchanters. And he says, you've got to come tell me what this means. And as we've seen multiple times in the story of Daniel so far, the, these wise men enchanters, they're, they're unable to interpret this, this writing on the wall. So then um, the, the actual... the, the the queen mother says, there's a man, Daniel, who's able to interpret these sorts of things. So he says, okay, call Daniel. And as, and as we've seen throughout the story of Daniel, Daniel, because he looks to God for his wisdom, is able to interpret this writing on the wall. And so in verse 13, we're going to jump down to 13 here. This is uh, Daniel's, the, the king speaks to Daniel and says, uh, well, so Daniel is brought before the king. And the king said to him, are you Daniel, one of the exiles my father uh, the king brought from Judah. I have heard that the spirit of the gods is in you, and you have insight, intelligence, and outstanding wisdom. The wise men and enchanters were brought before me to read this writing and tell me what it means, but they could not explain it. Now, I have heard that you are able to give interpretations and to solve difficult problems. If you can read this writing, tell me what it means. And tell me what it means. You'll be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around your neck. And you'll be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Now, um, did you catch that part? It says, I have heard you are able to give interpretations and solve difficult problems. Uh, again, we get, uh, we get the, the Aramaic smoothed out. The literal, the literal meaning of that is he's saying, Daniel, um, I think we have this next. Uh, Daniel, I have heard that you are able to give interpretations and to untie knots. And it's actually repeated twice in this passage. Daniel, you can untie knots. And the author here is trying, there's these knots that need to be untied. Who is able to untie them? 
So skipping down, Daniel speaks now to Belshazzar. We're going to jump now to verse 22. Daniel reminds Belshazzar of how his ancestor, his predecessor, Nebuchadnezzar, how, how God had spoke hard words to Nebuchadnezzar, had pursued Nebuchadnezzar, and how Nebuchadnezzar had turned back to the living God. And, um, and then in verse 22, Daniel says this to Belshazzar. He says, But you, Belshazzar, his son, have not humbled yourself. Though you knew all this, you knew the story of how God pursued Nebuchadnezzar. Instead, you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You had the goblets from his temple brought to you. And you and your nobles, your wives and your concubines drank wine from them. You praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand. But you did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. And this emphasis, you, you, you actively chose this. You didn't stumble into this, Belshazzar. You are responsible for your actions. Therefore, he sent the hand that wrote the inscription. This is the inscription that was written. Mene, mene, tekel parsen. This is what the words mean. Mene, God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. And at this point, at this point in the story, I believe Belshazzar still had a choice to make. He still could have turned around. I mean, over and over again in Scripture, we find instances where God speaks a hard word to a person or a nation. Even a word of judgment, God, this is going to happen. But if they turn back to him, he forgives and he restores. I believe at this point, Belshazzar still had a choice to make. Because God, judgment is never God's first choice. And it's critical that when, as we read the scriptures, we understand that any act of judgment always flows out of God's goodness. It's a warning of love. That judgment and love are not opposites, but rather love and apathy are opposites. That, that, that if God truly didn't care about Belshazzar, he would have just ignored him. It's not that he wanted to reject him. It's not that he wanted to shame him. But he cared enough to speak a warning to him. He said, Belshazzar, you cannot live this way. You cannot, you cannot treat me this way. You cannot treat people this way. You cannot make pleasure and power and false spiritualities the center of your life. Belshazzar, the course you are on will have consequences. Turn around. This is God's warning of love. Not that he wants to shame or reject. That he says, you are on the wrong course and it's about to go off a cliff. But Belshazzar does not change course. Verse 29. Instead of... uh, Instead of saying, God, I'm sorry... Instead of saying, God, will you help me? Verse 29, then at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was clothed in purple. A gold chain was placed around his neck. And he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. 
That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain. And Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. I want to take a little time and talk about what some implications of this might be. What might be the implication of this passage of this this warning of love, this warning of correction that God gives to this king, and, and what might be some implications for us today? And there's, there's two kind of um, big areas of implication that I want to talk about. And the, there's one kind of hard news and one good news. And so we'll start with the hard news one. And, and the, hard, the hard news implication, I believe, is this, that, um, that, God, that God cares about the choices and actions that people make and take. The, I think the hard news is that, that we have to recognize that we have these knots in our souls that need untying. And that there are times and places when God cares enough about us to say, hey, you need to change course. We're in, we're in this season of Lent right now, the season leading up to Easter. And, 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 and Christians throughout the world over the centuries have taken this time as a time to prepare their hearts, at kind of a, a, a heart check to examine their souls. Kind of a spring cleaning of the soul. Are there things, are there knots that have built up in our hearts that, that we need God to untie for us? And I think the hard news is, is that, God, that God says to us, there's these moments in our lives, these moments of clarity. When God says, this, if, if you keep this attitude, if you keep choosing these actions, there, this, is not, this is headed off a cliff. I believe God cares enough about people to give people warnings of love. And central to the Jesus movement is this recognition that we, everyone, has these knots in our souls. There's no, it's not like there's these people that do have, and there's people, no, we all have things that God needs to name in our lives. He's, I want to forgive you of that and set you free from this. And central to the Jesus movement is not this idea that we need to fix ourselves and be good people. Central to the Jesus movement is that we, ha- the, 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 we have to say, yeah, we just have to say, admit it. Yes, it is there. I admit it. And Jesus, I need your help. Will you forgive me and help untie this part of my life? So maybe a question for us, even this morning would be if, if, God, if God needed to speak a hard word to you, what would he talk to you about? That the living God cares enough about people to speak a hard word. And to invite us to admit, yeah, God, this is tied up in my heart. Will you, will you forgive me and will you help untie it? And the, and the beautiful thing is we don't, we, don't, we, don't, we don't do it for ourselves. That we see in the, in the, in the, in the story, Jesus, Jesus is the king 
that Belshazzar, he's the total opposite. The king Belshazzar never won. Belshazzar, here's this picture of a, of a man who under anxiety, under the threat of death, he turns to pleasure. He turns to kind of his own power. He turns to these false spiritualities. He humiliates others. He insults God. And then he, he, he ends up getting the judgment he's called upon himself. This is Belshazzar. And Jesus Could he be any different? Jesus, under the threat of death, when Jesus, when threatened by the religious and political authorities, when they were closing in on him, he lays down power. Jesus is humiliated for the sake of others. He doesn't humiliate. And Jesus takes on, he even takes on death, not that he deserved, but he takes on death that that men and women could be made right with the living God. And so the, I think the first implication is this question of, is there a hard word that, that we might hear even for ourselves from God this morning? And the second implication, the, this invitation, I think, uh, from God to us would be, the good news would be, where are the, the knots in this world, the knots of injustice, that God might invite you to speak out about. Where might Daniel, here's Daniel, and Daniel has earned the respect of the Babylonian court. He's earned the trust of the Babylonian court. And there comes this moment when Belshazzar is in, insulting God, humiliating these, these, these people. And, and Daniel says, Belshazzar, that is not right. And I'm... And I care enough to pass on the warning of God to you. You are on the wrong course. He names the knot in the world. He says that needs to be untied. Are there places that God has put on your heart to speak out about, to act about and and we don't have like I said earlier we don't have these in our in our day and age we don't tend to have objects that are sacred but in our day and age. Uh, we walk amongst image bearers of the living God every day of our life. Men and women bear the image of the living God. And in our world, they are still mocked and desecrated. God still cares about that. The other day I was driving, I was leaving Sunset Square. And there was a woman um, with a sign asking for money. And the sign said... Uh, bet you can't hit me with a quarter. And uh, I found myself wondering, what, what, what is said to a woman over the years? What is done to a woman over the years that leads her to a place where she, she says, this is, what I'm, this is where I'm at. Just have money. People throw money at me. To hit me with it. And I think about the people and the powers at work that have took her to that place. And I hope there are Daniels at work saying that's not right. Those things that that lead people to see themselves this way. I hope there are people in this world saying that's not right. And to untie the knots in the world that lead people to places like this. There are people in this room that, that, that are passionate about. There are peelers, there's teams of people in here that, that work against human trafficking. 
that feel passionate about seeing those knots named and untied. There are people in this room that, that care deeply about the homeless in Bellingham and are working to support and care for them. There are people in this room that care deeply about the way immigrants and refugees are treated in our country. There are people in this room that care about, that care about how, how single adults are interacted with in the church and not put, that they aren't pushed to the margins. There are people in this room that have, God has told them about, God has put passions in your hearts about knots in this world to name and untie and to work for. And I just, I wonder what might he, this morning, what might he be inviting you to? This is the knot to speak about, to act about. So these two, these two implications that, that, that I think Daniel 5 invites us into. One, what are the knots in our soul that God might need to speak a hard word about and, and that we would admit and help uh, let him untie for us? And two, what are the knots in this world that he would invite us to speak about and act about? And I just want to wrap up and give us some time to reflect on this. In a moment, uh, I'm going to pray. And then, would you, Carla, would you be good just kind of um, even give him some quiet or maybe just jamming for a little bit and letting people reflect for a few, few moments? Yeah, cool. And, uh, and we'll just give you a chance to reflect on these questions. And then um, in the back, I, I wish I would have grabbed one of these. So in the back on that wall, you see there's a brown basket back there? And then on this wall, there's a brown basket. Lonnie, can you hold up what's in that basket? It's a, there, are, there are sections of rope tied in to a knot in there. Thanks, Lonnie. And um, Christy, wherever you are, thank you for tying hundreds of rope knots. I didn't ask her to. She just did it just to surprise me. It was really nice. Um, but, uh, you know, sometimes uh, if there's something that God's speaking about, something that he wants to untie in your heart, or maybe there's this place that you feel called, that there's this thing that you're going to, that's not in the world that you feel called to, to speak out about. Sometimes having a physical, tangible thing is a helpful spiritual reminder for us. And so if there's something that either God this morning has said, I want to untie this in your life, will you let me? And you're like, God, I want, I just, I'd invite you if it'd be helpful for you to go back and grab one of those. Or if there's something this morning where you're like, God, I just feel called to speak out and to act on this, this knot in the world that helps you untied. If that's you and you feel this invitation, I'd invite you to go back there and take one of those. Totally up to you if that would be helpful to you. But let me, let me pray now and, uh, and we'll have some time to reflect and continue in our worship together. Father, Son, Spirit, uh, uh, we, we thank you. Um, Lord God, you, you see um, who we could be, who you dreamt for us to be um, when, you, when, you, when you created us. And um, so often we fall short of that in our hearts and in our actions and our thoughts. And yet um, you, you call us, even with hard words at times, you call us back to yourself. You forgive us. Um, over and over again as we turn to you. You invite us uh, to be your, your representatives in this world. And, and we're, we thank you. We thank you for, for your son Jesus who shows us the way. And even we thank you for your spirit um, that empowers us, that we don't do this in our own strength, but by your energy. And so even this morning, uh, living God, would you, uh, would you have things to say to us 
uh, will you speak to us? Will you give us ears to hear? Even now. In your name. Amen.